0: Forests provide us with the very air we breathe, and music nourishes our soul. Woods and Wild's podcast is intertwining the roots of music and the healing power of nature through stories. Standing out here in Congaree, if I focus on what I'm thinking, I'll start blundering. But when I look around at the trees, I start wondering, not afraid of lightning and thundering. Notice me, love forestry. It never bores me. It holds me, consoles me. And the other thing that it does, it molds me.
1: Hello, everyone. I am Elizabeth Lachey with Slay the Mic. And of course, I'm joined by my amazing co host I'm Kamala
0: Luna from Dogwood Alliance, and I have the greatest pleasure to introduce two incredible guests today. We have Kalia Martin and Nikisha Glover with us today. Kalia Martin has a master's of social work, is a community advocate who firmly believes in the power of individuals and communities to make extraordinary change. She has a passion for working in an authentic community-centered way that allows for typically excluded voices to be elevated. She is a forward-thinking leader who thrives to push everyone around her to dream up more radical possibilities. Kalia is the co-chair of the Environmental Justice Working Group for the Southeast Climate and Energy Network. She also has experience as a youth organizer, program manager, facilitator, and filmmaker. She is the founder and striving embodier of Disrupt Transform LLC. And Nikisha Glover is a climate justice practitioner, thought leader, tech advocate, and community engagement expert. Nikisha actively develops strategies across activism, films, music, and podcasts to help engage and activate millennials, Gen Z artists, entertainers, community leaders, entrepreneurs, politicians, and other climate experts. Nikisha has built a local to national track record as a community organizer with years of experience in corporate community and service-based roles. These roles include Soul Nation Founder, where she advocates for real solutions on behalf of the community she serves, Girls Who. Code as a former regional partnership coordinator where she closes gender and diversity gaps in technology and as Think 100% organizer for Hip Hop Caucus where she highlights solutions to climate change and environmental injustices to help make Think 100% the coolest place in the climate movement. Because of her expertise in climate justice, Nikisha has been called upon to share knowledge with media outlets including Media Matters, Yes Magazine, Huffington Post, Creative Loafing, Gizmodo, WB TV Atmos Lillian's left and Earth gen Additionally, Nikisha has been asked to be a featured speaker by the Black Women's Health Imperative, DC Environmental Film Festival, Smithsonian Anacostia, U.S. Climate Action Network, National Environmental Justice Conference, National Adaptation Forum, and the National Conference on Equitable Development. She has been recognized as a 2019 Grist 50 Fixer with the 2019 Martin Luther King Jr. Growing the Dream Award and the 2016 Clean Air Carolina Airkeeper Award joining North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, Dr. James Kinney, and other business leaders. Nikisha is from Charlotte, North Carolina, and holds a bi- biology degree from the University of North Carolina at
1: Charlotte. Welcome, y'all. Whoa. Hey, hey. And, <laughs> and you found us, like, Woods and Wilds podcast, <laughs> like, to add on to this bio of, of both of you. It's amazing. Welcome, first of all. We're really excited to be able to sit down and speak with you. And I have a question that I wanna ask both of you. Kalia, in your bio, you were talking about being a radical dreamer. And then Nikisha, you were also talking about dreams and accomplishing things and pursuing your passion. So what does it look like to be a radical dreamer?
2: (laughs) For me, sometimes it looks a little chaotic, right? (laughs) <laughs> but um I think I'd say for me being a radical dreamer means daring to take the risk that everyone wants to take but is too scared to do. I like to think I'm trying to live my life in a way now where if there's something that I want to do instead of f- focusing on the reasons why I shouldn't do it, I just figure out how to get that thing done. And I think you know we we often talk about that but especially being like a Southern Black girl living in this country, it sometimes feels like society has told us we have to shrink our dreams down to be more realistic. And I'm just at the point in life where I'm rejecting what society tells me is realistic for my life and encouraging as many people as I can to do the same because I know that we all have the capability to live very full, very exciting lives, whatever we want to do. There's no reason why we can't do it other than we think we can't do it. So I like to encourage people to do whatever it is that they feel that they're too small or, or less equipped to do, because that's just, you know, socialization telling us those things. It's not true.
3: Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I love that definition, Kalia. And it makes me think of a term that I've learned and embodied lately of radical healing. So to be a radical dreamer, I think you gotta have radical healing also, and embracing what that looks like. A lot of people will talk about healing, but what does radical healing look like? Especially when when you have been forced into so many different situations that have caused pain, trauma, you witness pain and trauma. Of your community and of your people. And you've got to be able to, to dream. Sometimes you can't even get to the place of dreaming because you haven't healed yet. So I really appreciate and embrace the term radical healing and what we'll couple it with radical healing.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about what that process looks like for both y'all? Because it's definitely, it's like what was coming to mind when you were speaking is like society is wants you to be disempowered, you know, and is like pushing that on you. And so like, it's really an internal shift between like disempowerment and rejecting it and then moving towards empowerment. But like, what is that? What, what does that? What mode, what clicks for you to move from that place to the more empowered place?
2: I can, you know, speak from my experience and say, I think for me reading and watching and just studying the works of like, black women but particularly like black queer and trans women and just thinking about what it meant for those women to live their lives at a time when they were completely ostracized and be willing to just stand in their truth i think being able to read the works of audrey lord or you know even just the reflections of angela davis or bell hooks and and, and watch them process life and understanding that even though they wrote these texts decades ago, they're still very much applicable. To me, it was a lot easier to get to a point of healing because someone had already laid the blueprint for me. They already told me, they basically could tell me how I was feeling before I had the words to describe it. So I think for me, being able to identify what I was feeling, like even how you named feeling disempowered, it took me a long time to realize how that was showing up in my own life. And so being able to put a finger on what I'm feeling Help me then start to unpack that and then overcome it and get to a point where I no longer felt that way.
3: I think what comes up for me is sometimes you just don't have any other options and the way in which systems have forced you into positions of disempowerment, you really have no You have no fear to take the risk because what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, you already know the worst. You've already experienced the worst. So really being empowered in being able to set yourself on a trajectory of being comfortable in the unknown because the known what you see and what you feel has created this amount of harm or has disrupted your ability to find stability, whether it's job stability or financial stability, but really finding yourself creating pathways where there are none. Because it's really survival. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's really, it's really survival. What it comes down to.
1: Hmm. So I know that Juneteenth has passed, and it's now something that is a conversational buzzword. And I also want to ask you all, when it comes to climate justice, just like what we're seeing with Juneteenth and and other things that are happening in our society, how can we go past it just being a buzzword? How can we actually implement Climate justice, environmental justice into our everyday instead of just saying, I'm gonna wear a cool t-shirt and recycle on Wednesdays.
2: Nikisha, I'm gonna let you take this one first. I know this is this is your wheelhouse.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I saw you off mute. <laughs> I was like, Kalia's got it. Okay, Kalia got it to just hand it off to me. Well, I'm really glad that you asked. <laughs> so I want to lead the conversation with actually a talk that I, I gave this past week around a case for climate reparations. And let's talk about reparations from a climate perspective. Let's talk about Black liberation. When we talk about the issues with the climate crises, we will not solve climate without solving racial inequities and solving for racial justice like it's just not going to happen there has to be a centralization of the impacts and the harm that capitalism and racism and as we'll be talking about in our upcoming series with Dogwood Alliance you know all the isms we have to address how those isms have gotten us to where we are. And so it is a must that we center the harms that the previous errors have caused to Black, Brown, Indigenous, and people of color communities. And so I'd like to dig in a little bit around the climate reparations piece. You know, we, like, reparations, Overall, reparations is a need to repair the harm, uh, uh, the technical mechanism in which the repairing of harm that certain conditions have caused for people who were enslaved and now present day people who have faced environmental harms. And so I didn't come up with the term climate reparations, but it it was coined by Dr. Maxine Burkett in 2009, and I'd like to take a a moment to just define it for you all. In 2009, Dr. Maxine Burkett came up with this in a, in a, a paper. She's a law professor. And climate reparations is the effort to assess harm caused by the past emissions of the major polluters and to improve the lives of the climate vulnerable through direct programs policies and or mechanisms for significant resource transfers to assure the ability of the climate vulnerable to contemplate a better livelihood in light of future climate challenges. So I want to frame that because in short, a friend and colleague, Tamara Tolles O'Loughlin, actually goes further to describe it as a way in which we will move money and other resources to increase the likelihood that the climate vulnerable will survive the crisis. It ultimately calls out the endless accumulation of wealth by fossil fuel companies and reroutes it to the people that they hurt. So when you talk about Juneteenth and Black liberation and emancipation of the people, we can't do it without talking about the emancipation and the freedom from pollution in our communities.
2: And that's why I kicked it to her first (laughs) because, you know, I don't really have anything to add other than, like you said, it has to be more than a moment. It has to, it can't just be the one-off things that we do as individuals that make us pat ourselves on the back. And we really do things like that to like, give us this like moral high ground, like this superiority complex of like, well, I recycle, so I'm not, you know, harming the planet but I'm going to still use Amazon Prime and order things that I could just go to the store and get. You know, like, it it helps us absolve ourselves of the responsibility each of us has to do more. And then again, it it also, if we're not attaching, be it Juneteenth or climate justice, if we're not attaching that to policies being enacted, I think we know that policies are going to impact way more people than us recycling. So just helping folks be willing to understand that they have to do both uh, both and all of the above like it's going to take so much more effort and it's a great start, just like with Juneteenth is a great way to build awareness, but now the question is. Now that we have people paying attention now that people are talking about it, how do we capitalize on the moment. To make sure that we can translate these people who are now interested who are now beginning to learn more about these issues, how do we get them to stay plugged in for the long haul because. Changing policy and then changing this culture. We're we're talking about a complete societal shift from the way that we, you know, interact with each other, the way we interact with the natural world. Like this is a completely different world we're talking about creating if we want to have a planet that is sustainable for us and for the rest of creation. So just getting folks on board and figuring out how what the best way is to do that.
3: That's
0: beautiful. And tease up my question perfectly so your training is going to be called getting to the root unpacking the hidden systemic barriers of forest protection can you talk a little bit about those systemic barriers uh, just a little more and then maybe describe a little bit of like the world you would like to see
2: yeah I think the not the big one because they're all interconnected they're inextricably linked the one I spend the most time talking about though is just the connection between racism and and capitalism and how we got to where we are in terms of the climate crisis. We know that Africans were the first capital that, you know, the people we now call Americans owned, right? And so thinking about the original sins of Native genocide and then the stealing of Africans who were then enslaved, um, we know that's the foundation of this country. We know that this country's wealth is built solely off the back of free labor for 400 years. And so if we can't, understand or if we can't get folks to realize that when we're talking about this climate crisis, when we're talking about the fact that we are the number two polluter in the world, I argue that we're one and two because China's number one, but they're making stuff to send over here. So I I think we can take both crowns, honestly. But if we're talking about those things and not talking about our consumer culture and not talking about the fact that our consumer culture is driven by a capitalistic model that says that you need to continue to build wealth to continue to extract and nothing bad is gonna happen. And the best way to get those good profit margins is to have the cheapest labor possible, which means that someone is being exploited, then we're not gonna be able to solve this crisis. If, if we cannot connect all of those things together, when we're talking about our forest, we, we're gonna think as simple as we'll just stop cutting down the trees, but we don't fully understand why those trees are being cut in the first place, because someone's benefiting from our our forces being destroyed. And oftentimes when we're talking about these issues, we tend to focus on the oppression. We focus on the people who have been harmed, which is great, right? But we tell those stories, but we don't spend enough time looking at who is benefiting from this oppression. And we know that there are clear benefactors. There are people who are, are banking on the fact that we only focus on the oppression so that they can keep doing what they're doing because no one's holding them accountable. And so that's what we're hoping to do with this series is to, of course, highlight the oppression, but then just make sure we shift to focus on the fact that someone is benefiting and it's important that we name both.
3: Yeah, say it louder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think Kalia just dropped the mic. I don't know if y'all were waiting for me, but Kalia dropped the mic. I don't have anything else to add to that. I believe
1: that was very well said and I'm really excited for that series to come up. So we'll definitely be providing some more information on when and how you can be able to access that at the end of this podcast today. I have a question because we kind of just jumped into both of your expertise, but I want to back it up on to like, when did you fall in love with nature? You know, at what age and like describe the moment that you were like, yep,
3: I'm in love with nature, this is it. (laughs) I don't know why, but like when you said that, you took me right back to being in my grandparents' driveway, looking up at the clouds and seeing all the shapes that they take. You take me back to the fact that I'm now an aunt, you know, and I'm a mother, but I think it might have been last summer spending the summer evenings teaching my niece and my son how to catch lightning bugs and let them go, you know. And what's funny or what's beautiful, I think about that is like, not only did I experience that as a child, but being able to gift that experience to them in their youth. And she was, my niece, she was super scared to catch the lightning bugs last year. But this year she's like telling me how excited and brave, like she's like a whole different, Child, when it comes to catching these lightning bugs, or some of y'all might refer to them as fireflies, but I guess I'm real su- showing my Southern and country roots, you know, calling them lightning bugs, and I'm not even saying I'm not even really pronouncing the G <laughs> on lightning, but lightning bugs, y'all, y'all hear me when I say that, but yeah, I think it it's always been there, you know, I can even remember. As a child, like whenever I would travel and still to this day, like when I travel by road, like falling asleep, like it's something soothing about like just being outdoors. So I think it's always been there. But like to Kalia's point from earlier, not necessarily having the language or needing a way to describe it. It's just it always has been. It's all It always was and it always will be. A love for nature because nature is what gives us the gift to be able to even um, exist.
2: I think for me, I was like a closeted nature lover. (laughs) That's the only way I can think to put it. Like, I knew I always had this like affinity for nature. Like, I was the girl who was like not really scared of bugs like everyone else, but I didn't really let on that they didn't bother me, except for water bugs. I do not just yeah that's a no but every other bug you know I'm like okay I'm kind of scared but you know I'm not running away frantic right um so growing up I used to go camping I had exposure to nature but I think I was waiting for someone to give me permission to say I enjoy these things and so as I got older I'll honestly say I became open and really cognizant of how much I cared about nature last year during the pandemic I started just going on hikes. I got this pass to the Whitewater Center because I'm based in Charlotte as well. And so I would just go kayaking and spend hours just like laying on a paddleboard in the middle of the Catawba River. And uh, it just hit me like, wow, I really love this. This is what fuels me. And I want to work to make sure that I can always come do this. Because if, if you ride down the Catawba, there is a there. I a, I don't know what type of industry it is, but there is a, a polluting station as I kayak down that river. So even being faced with that as I'm just enjoying nature just continuously fuels me to keep working. So this year I decided to just kind of take a hiatus back to this radical dreaming thing. I quit the job I was working at and spent three months in Costa Rica. And there were times, most of the time, when people asked me, Kalia, what did you do for three months if you weren't working? I was sitting outside on a beach chair watching the waves crash and to me it was it became this most mesmerizing thing cuz i kept saying to myself how do these waves just not come on shore and wash everything away and so just like the mystery of nature but also the the constant like the fact that it can be predictable you know like when you have a garden if if you do the right things you're likely to get crops at the end of it right unless there's some unforeseen natural disaster which we know we're having more of because of the climate crisis but being able to understand the concept of you reap what you sow literally. I learn a lot from nature. I'm, I'm paying more attention now. And I think as humans, we would all do a better job if we paid more attention to our natural world, because there's so many things that it's trying to teach us. We're just not listening.
0: It's beautiful. So you both are regarded as leaders. And I want to talk about how that looks really different for each of you and how you found your own sense of leadership and any advice you have for
3: people who are still seeking their space in the world. I think it's in your sphere of influence. It wasn't that I felt a calling to lead a number of people, although people try to say Leos tend to be leaders or what have you. (laughs) So there is that part, but it wasn't that I felt called. I think for me, it's been trying to figure it out, really. I found this lane of work named Climate Justice. And I knew I wanted to go deeper but not necessarily having all the connecting pieces early on in my, my career trajectory to like really put put all the pieces together. So really I'm clearing a pathway, I'm clearing brush. There is no road, there is no pathway. I'm just trying to clear out the brush to be able to, to connect with, this is where I wanna be. This is exactly the work that I wanna do. And this is exactly the kind of meaningful impact I want to make and along the way without even realizing it i was clearing a pathway for other people and by clearing that pathway for other people there is a leadership aspect to that i suppose but like we're we're collective like we're 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 leading collectively we're leading within our sphere of influence we all are leaders we all are environmentalists we all care about our ability to have clean air clean water and live on the land like that's that's our ultimate goal to be in harmony with the earth and any deviation from our ability to have clean air, clean water and live on the land, it is is it it is no one's goal. There's no one that says, I want dirty water. There's no one that says like, give me, give me that glass of dirty water. Yeah, that looks really appetizing to me. There's no one that's saying, yeah, I want this terrible air. Matter of fact, I think people are breathing in terrible air and thinking that it's normal, you know, because you haven't haven't necessarily lived in a community that wasn't being dumped on. I was having this conversation recently and because Kalia and I are both from the Charlotte area, Kalia may or may not know this, but there's like this, Area of town, um, I'm gonna, and, and this area of town could be any area of town, it could be your area of town. But there is an area of town in your town that every time you go past it, you're like, What is that smell? This area that I'm thinking about in particular is like right around the South Boulevard area, it's like a real metallic, heavy smell. Which I've come later to learn that that is a foundry. I didn't know that growing up, I just thought that's the way it smelled, or going to South Park and it would smell like raw sewage um every time you would go over through that area and so I think the point is is that back to the point of nobody wants to live in a community that's not sustainable nobody wants to live in a community that's not regenerative and that's not providing them the basic necessities in life which are air clean air specifically and clean water and so in your sphere of influence that's what connects back to your leadership and being able to have those conversations at the dinner table at school within your natural course of your day. So I'll stop there, but that's kind of what that means to me.
2: And I think, you know, just as an example of what she just said in terms of clearing away, Nikisha is the reason why I'm in this work to the extent that I am. My first job out of grad school was, I, you know, got lucky, lucked into this job as an environmental justice program coordinator. And I went to this conference and outside of Greensboro, North Carolina. And I heard this lady talk and I'm like, oh, she's from Charlotte, I'm from Charlotte. And then I just started seeing her everywhere. So I'm like kind of stalking her. And she's like, oh, you're young, you black and you're a girl and you're from Charlotte. You need to be aware of these things. I'm gonna bring you into these spaces, like, come on. And I'm like, me, you know, (laughs) like hesitating. She's like, just come on. You don't have to do anything, but you need to be here. You have what it takes to be in this room just because you you care. And so having people like Nakisha who've been in this work for a long time who don't mind bringing other people along because not only was I brought into those spaces, I was a youth organizer. I had six black high school kids that I was working with on a regular basis. So as I'm coming into these spaces, so are they, and so it's just this chain reaction of bringing folks into spaces where again, we've been told we should not be, and then just naturally taking them over. (laughs) Like, it's it's just kind of how that works, but I think my, I guess, general brand of leadership comes from, as my mom says, I don't know how to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) I've always been the person since I was a kid where if I can tell everybody's thinking the same thing, I'm just gonna be the one to say it. Like, I'm going to name the elephant in the room I've always had a very strong, I guess you'd say urge or, or, you know, you'd call it intuition where if there's a feeling in my gut about something that's being said and it doesn't feel right, I'm going to speak up. Even if that makes me nervous, even if that means I might face a consequence, it's just something that I know is instilled in me. Like I, I can't really control it. And I have learned to just Lean into that feeling, and it's never steered me wrong and it's never caused me harm, right? Even when I have faced negative repercussions, it always worked out for my benefit. So that's just how I am personally. But I think that that skill lends itself well to being in this space where you have people who have been in this work for a long time and they think they can just assume that they know the right answer without asking the people who are directly impacted. Someone has to be willing to stand up and say, I know you've been doing it this way, but that doesn't mean it's right. And so I find myself doing things like that. But to answer your question around how to bring in other people, we don't need 10 Kaliyas. We don't need 10 Nikishas, right? I'm a handful as it is. Like, I can't even deal with more than one of me. So just reminding people that whatever your skills are, whatever your talents are, those are needed. We need people who can be mediators. We need people who can draw. We need people... Who are good at note-taking like things that don't seem important it's going to take everybody and every skill in order to have a successful movement so just i like to encourage people to think about the things they enjoy doing the things that they feel good about doing and lend those to the movement i can guarantee you they will be useful and people will be so grateful that you brought it and so you know just wanting to to tell people you don't have to wait until you have a certain level of expertise about this issue in order to get involved. You can start right where you are, even if the only thing you know is I care about the climate. That's the only thing you need. And you can do this work and you will be a, a benefit to the society and to the world.
1: Mm. Thank you. And that's that is something that's really inspirational because um, there's so many times where I get overwhelmed of like, where do I start? How do I navigate through this? How do I stay motivated? But it's just doing. So thank you to you both. I I want to ask you in terms of Slay the Mic is a hip hop and RB radio show. And I want to know like is there a song is there an artist that really helps you get through maybe a daunting task or makes you want to celebrate or get up and dance
2: I mean I'm just going to assume that we can't say Beyonce because that's a given (laughs) like I, I think that's a given who am I listening to right now I've been on this wave. I think it's called Future Punk. It's an Afro. It's an um, Apple playlist. And when I'm feeling like, huh, like I don't want to do something, I'll just put on that playlist and just listen to it because I need beats that are kind of up-tempo. They're kind of singing about nothing. Like the lyrics don't really matter. So I don't think I'm listening to major artists right now. I'm just listening to music that gives me a good vibe, a music that makes, that picks up my energy. Because there are times when you do this work where you really don't feel like doing anything. And so being able to push through that with music that just makes me feel good, no matter who the artist is, is kind of a reflection of the world I wanna live in. Like I don't, I wanna be able to just listen to something because it's good and not because they are from a certain background. Uh, So that's one of the ways that I practice that.
3: I love this question. I'm just gonna shout out Toby Nweegwe, Fat and Nail. I'm one of the cousins too, you know, like that that's it for me. And if you've never listened to Toby Nweegwe, Nail and Fat, do yourself a favor and, and it'll be a rabbit hole. Like I found myself down the rabbit hole. I think I started with Dope and I didn't come up for like the whole album or all their songs, all their material and content. So if you need a recommendation on where to start in their catalog, you can definitely start with Dope as a song. And then you can move to Wavy. You can move to Hella Black. You can move to Try Jesus. Not me, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) that's my energy right there. And I love not only... The music that they're putting out. I love the knowledge that they're putting out. And I love the framework in which they're doing it in. Like they are promoting family, faith, and and community like they're they're promoting all this front and center and it's an excellent model for the way in which i do my work you know and making sure that i'm connected in that way so that's my inspiration that's my theme music my soundtrack, my soundtrack all that so thank you for that question
2: well i'm gonna just throw in since she dropped one artist i'm gonna just throw in megan the stallion that is my personal fave as well So I'm gonna just throw her out there because she is also someone where when I really need to just get moving, that's that's my go-to, that's my girl.
0: Yes. If you could choose one thing that people just innately knew and your words were magic and you could just say that thing and people would just know it forever, what would it be?
3: That's a good question. I might've needed that one before so I could make sure to give it correctly. Okay, so aside from... How to pronounce my name because y'all recognize it ain't no h in my name <laughs> so that would be like the one like it's Nakisha, but it is spelled Nikisha. i get that but i would say it's possible right being able to have that as the thing that when i say it people innately knew it especially as it relates to our work, but then my work isn't really isolated from my life. Like I've gotten to a point where everything is aligned. So overall, to be able to say across all dimensions of life that it's possible, I think that would be it for me.
2: This is hard, but I think I'm going to go with you have to get to the root if you want to see the fruit change. I feel like if we as a society could just understand that we cannot fix 400 plus year old problems with so, while only focusing on what's happening today. If we could understand that that's not a good strategy, I feel like we would be so much further along as a society, as a human race. And so I think no matter what issue we're talking about, if we want to see something different, if we want to see a different society, We have to get to the point where we understand how we messed up in the first place. Otherwise, we're just gonna recreate it.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, both of that, that was extremely powerful. And I was just trying to process everything that you just said. And I just bought a, a sweatshirt that said, it's possible with Brandy from the Brandy version of the Cinderella, the best version. And I'm also curious, both of you have a intersection with media, whether that's filmmaker or activating entrepreneurs and entertainers. So how does that influence some of the work towards climate justice?
2: So to me, you have to shift culture if we expect policy to be effective. Uh, One of my mentors always says that culture eats policy for breakfast. And so I think if we're only, you know, pushing so hard for policy change, but the community is not aware of what's going on and why it's important. Uh, we're going to get trouble from buy-in, not only from the people we're trying to sway, but the people who would otherwise be on our side if they knew what was going on. And so I think it's important to get into the storytelling, the entertainment space, because we know that people like to be entertained. We know who holds power in that regard in terms of how our cultural identity is shaped as a country. So as we are trying to change policy, we have to also change what we consider common sense or the right side. Uh, And so I think it's important for us, the the people who are trying to save this planet to also understand we have to meet people where they are. Uh, We have to give them information in a way that is gonna be well-received. And that means we have to be creative. And that's where the arts come into play. I'm someone, I don't identify as a creative or even a, a filmmaker in a traditional sense, but I understand and respect the importance of addressing the cultural elements of this issue. Because again, we have to change hearts and minds along with policy. We can't just change policy, just like we also can't change, just change hearts and minds like what we talked about earlier with Juneteenth where now people are aware, but they're not mobilized. We have to find a way to marry these items because it takes all of the components in order to have a viable future.
3: And I'll say creatives are the translators. You know, if we were going to solve the climate crisis or put it into forest, uh, or excuse me, if we were going to put it into deforestation based on facts and figures alone, that would have been happening. Like it would have been happened. There's enough data, enough reports, enough scientists that have shown us that Climate change is real and we know what the causes are. We know that it's terrible to destroy the forest and the flooding and other impacts of deforestation cause like we would have we would have solved that a long time ago but you need the translators and I'm so glad Kalia spoke to people coming into the work with their gifts whether you're a note taker whether you are a teacher whatever your gift is like you're needed you are being called this is your call today to engage in the movement for climate justice and the movement for environmental justice and the movements for social justice this is your calling and you're qualified. Shout out to Lindsay Harper, who gave me that you are qualified to participate and bring your gifts and create the change you are you are needed you you there is space for you and that goes for our creatives and our artists too, and the thing about it is, as a creative or artist, you still want clean air. You still want clean water. You're not above those needs and you live in the same communities that are being impacted by these issues. We could name a ton of artists and creatives out of North Carolina. And these same artists and creatives exist in a state that has more pigs than humans. You know, they exist in a state that is, that has permitted Wood pellet manufacturers to sell off wood pellets as a false solution of biodiesel or biofuel, I should say. They live in the same state that is facing these issues. So you should care. Like you live here too. So you should care. You should be using your platform because your platform speaks to the same people who are being impacted.
0: I so appreciate you guys taking time out and being here with us today. This has been so meaningful and rich. And I just want to know what are y'all currently working on and where can our listeners find you and follow along?
3: First of all, you can find us by coming to the training called Getting to the Root, Unpacking the Hidden Systemic Barriers to Forest Protection. We'd love to see you. Those dates are July 29th, August 5th, and August 12th. And I'm sure more details will be provided for you all to get that information. So definitely come out and join myself and Kalia for that. And then what else am I working on? I wear many hats is what I tell the people. But actively, as you heard in the wonderful introduction, you can find me with Soul Nation. You can find me with Hip Hop Caucus. You can find me out here talking climate justice any and everywhere I go. You can find me talking tech. Tech advocacy and closing gender gaps in technology everywhere I go. To follow me or to continue to engage with me, you can hear me on hashtag Climate Friday Radio Show, broadcasting on WPFW on Fridays at 9 a.m. And You can also learn about me on my website, Nakishaglover.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. I hope to see you out here in these climate justice streets.
2: Well, I'm kind of a ghost at this point. <laughs> so I'll say you can find me tagging along with whatever Nikisha' is up to. Uh, you can also find me doing work with the Southeast Climate and Energy Network. And soon you'll be able to follow and keep up with all the things on KaliaMartin.com. That website is in the process of being built because I think right now I'm rebelling against social media. I might change my mind, but right now <laughs> those are the places you can find me.
1: Thank you both Yay. for being here with us and allowing us to have a moment of your time and have a conversation that is really needed. And I'm just gonna have to reiterate it's possible and you can start from anywhere. And we're all needed in this movement. So thank you so much.
0: Yes. woo
2: No problem. No problem. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh.